Welcome back to the Book of Mormon with Grandma. We're in 2 Nephi 5 today. Lehi has died, and the brothers are still angry at Nephi. I suppose if we had to label this chapter, we'd call it the Great Separation. A huge division continued to come between Nephi and his brothers. It became so serious that Nephi's brothers again tried to kill Nephi. Nephi tells us that their anger towards him increased. One wonders how it could get any worse, but apparently it's gotten very bad. And they not only want to kill him, but his family as well, his children and his wife. Nephi tells us they murmured against him because they did not want him to be the ruler over them, because they felt that ability to be ruler was rightfully theirs as elder brothers, whether they were righteous or not. He spares us the gory details of all the things that they said and did to him, but he does tell us that they wanted to kill him. In the midst of this, the Lord takes notice and tells Nephi it's time for him to separate himself from them and take everyone who would go with him. There will be times in our own lives when we will have to separate ourselves from wickedness or even things that will try to move us away from God. We might have to remove ourselves from friends who encourage us to do things we know are not right. We sometimes think we're stronger than that, that we can go and do things with them and not be tempted, but often that is not so. I think I've said this before. I remember when I was in high school, the name given, the nickname given me by everyone was Goody Two-Shoes because I would not go out on Friday nights with them and drink and party. But in order for me to keep the spirit with me, I had to remove myself from that environment. So I kept the nickname instead. In Relief Society, we were talking about the Holy Ghost as our constant companion. And the teacher asked, was there ever a time when you felt the Holy Ghost tell you to do something? And then she said, what about a time when you knew you were in a place where it just didn't feel right? What did you do? How did you feel? And did you do what the Holy Ghost told you to do? I hope you can answer some of those questions and realize that the Lord will always try to warn us through the Holy Ghost when we're in a place that might not be good for us. It's why, again, we should pick friends wisely. It's why we're told to listen to the words of our parents and the prophet. Sometimes it's effort to do what the Spirit tells us to do and move ourselves away from the thing that is causing us trouble. But Nephi also finds himself now once again moving away. They had moved once from the land of their inheritance in Jerusalem to save their lives and are now having to move again to spare his life from his brothers. Let's go over to 2 Nephi 5, 5. And it came to pass that the Lord did warn me that I, Nephi, should depart from them and flee into the wilderness and all those who would go with me. Wherefore, it came to pass that I, Nephi, did take my family and also Zoram and his family and Sam, my elder brother, and his family and Jacob and Joseph, my younger brethren, and also my sisters and all those who would go with me and all those who would go with me were those who believed in the warnings and the revelations of God. Wherefore, they did hearken unto my words. This is the first time we hear that Nephi has sisters other than the two that we assume married the sons of Ishmael. So 30 years he has taken the abuse of his brothers, trying to take the life of his father and now him as well, always him as well. And now he must take his family and all that will go with him and start over again. He took everyone that believed in the warnings and revelations of God and those who believed Nephi. So what did they take with them and how far did they go? This is back to seven. And we did take our tents and whatsoever things were possible for us and did journey in the wilderness for the space of many days. And after we had journeyed for the space of many days, we did pitch our tents. And my people would that we should call the name of the place Nephi. Wherefore, we did call it Nephi. And all those who were with me did take upon them to call themselves the people of Nephi. So they took whatever they could their tents and whatever else they could carry 
But imagine, they'd been settled in this land for a time. When they got there, they immediately planted so they would have food to eat. And he says later that they did sow seed and did reap in abundance. So they must have taken some seeds and some animals with them. One thing is for certain, you'll see down the road what happens when Nephi takes his talent and learning and leaves. The Lamanites become an idle people, also because of sin and iniquity. But I think also, uh, think about what Nephi has learned from Father in Heaven about making a bow and building a ship and finding food. He has all the skill to help his family survive. And Laman and Lemuel, who helped begrudgingly with everything, are now on their own. So how long did they travel? He said they traveled many days and then set up camp and they called the place Nephi and the people wanted to be called Nephites. So Nephi tells us the other things he took with them. If you look in 12 and 13, you'll find them. He took the plates of brass, the liahona, the sword of Laban, and he used that sword of Laban as a prototype to make other swords for them to defend themselves because he says not only did the people who were now called Lamanites hate him, they also hated his children and all the people who came with him. So think about this. How can we compare these three things to the things we can take to carry with us in our life? Let's talk about the plates of brass for us. What would that be? That would be our scriptures. They were scriptures to the Nephites, and we carry ours with us also to read. So what would the Liahona be for us? That would be the Holy Ghost. It reminds us who we are and brings things to our remembrance and gives us direction all by our faith, just like the Nephites. And then what about the sword of Laban? Just like the armor of God that we talked about in the New Testament, all of the parts of the armor of God are defensive pieces except for one. The sword is both defensive and offensive. It is the word of God and the word of God carries with it power and authority and as Peter said it's sharper than a two-edged sword. When Satan tried his best to tempt the Savior what did the Savior do? He said it is written and he quoted scripture to him. So how can you use the sword or the word of God today? Well, one thing is if you don't know the scriptures or the word of God, it's pretty hard to quote them at all or to use them to find ways to help in your life, to use them to uh, know what someone else went through so it might be helpful to you. So now Nephi tells us that he taught his people to be industrious and to work hard and to work with their hands and to build buildings and work with wood and iron and copper and brass and steel and all the precious ore, um, ores that he said, and they prospered. He built a temple, like Solomon's temple, but he said there weren't as many precious things on it since those type of things were not found in the new land. His people now know that Jerusalem has been destroyed, and along with that, the temple in Jerusalem, one of the most sacred edifices to them as Jews, is gone, and they must have felt that everything they knew is gone. Their homeland, the temple, and now the inheritance they had. So once they got settled, Nephi builds them a temple to let them know that they have not been forgotten by the Lord. In the next few chapters, we'll hear Jacob teach them some important principles, including that they have not been abandoned by God. So now the Lord turns his attention to the Lamanites. This is in verse 19. And behold, the words of the Lord had been fulfilled unto my brethren, which he spake concerning them, that I should be their ruler and their teacher. Wherefore, I had been their ruler and their teacher, according to the commandments of the Lord, until the time they sought to take away my life. 
Wherefore the word of God was fulfilled, which he spake unto me, saying, Inasmuch as they will not hearken unto thy words, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And behold, they were cut off from his presence. Remember, we talked about being cut off from the Lord's presence. It was something they did to themselves because they did not keep his commandments. And being cut off means they lost the opportunity to have the Holy Ghost with them. Okay, back to 21. And he had caused the cursing to come upon them, yea, even a sore cursing, because of their iniquity. And behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, and they had become like unto a flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my people, the Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. And thus saith the Lord God, I will cause that they shall be loathsome unto thy people, save they shall repent of their iniquities. And cursed shall be the seed of him that mixeth with their seed, for they shall be cursed even with the same cursing. And the Lord spake it, and it was done. Well, I realize this is a hot-button issue today, and so I won't spend a lot of time on this other than to say that the Lord used this mark as a separation between the Nephites and the Lamanites so that they would not, as the scriptures say, be enticing to the um, Nephite people. He did not want them to mix with each other, and as Alma said, he didn't want them to begin to believe in incorrect traditions which would prove their destruction. The Lamanites had rejected Christ and everything the gospel had to offer. So from everything I've read and listened to, and I would encourage you to study and pray about this issue yourself, the mark or the curse had little to do with skin pigmentation and more to do with iniquity, sin, and the loss of the Holy Ghost. Someone explained it as a cause and effect. The cause was the loss of the Holy Ghost and sin, and the effect was a mark was placed upon them. But ultimately, in the end, the Nephites became more wicked than the Lamanites, and it helped to serve the Lamanites in the same way to protect them from the immoralities of the Nephites. Nephi continues to set up his people to be what the Lord would have them be. He called Jacob and Joseph to be priests and teachers, and Jacob, because he could preach the word of God with such boldness. Why? Because he saw the Savior as a young boy, and he knew and had tasted of his love. Nephi also says that at this point in their lives, 40 years had passed away and they had already, from the time they left Jerusalem and they had already had wars and contentions with his brothers. But ultimately he said this in verse 27, and it came to pass that we lived after the manner of happiness. What do you suppose that means to live after the manner of happiness? He didn't say they lived happy all the time. Obviously they had war. He knows that they had already had war, so and he knows that his brothers want to kill him. So certainly, every day was not a holiday. But he said, we lived after the manner of happiness, the plan of happiness, the way to be happy. So Nephi gives us the steps to that plan. And if we follow what Nephi says here, these are some of the things that they did. Number one, they had faith in Jesus Christ, something we need to do. Number two, they understood the gospel and the plan of salvation. This is why we uh, teach the scriptures in our classes. It's why you should read the Book of Mormon, why you should read the scriptures. Number three, they worked hard to take care of themselves. They were industrious. Number four, they loved their families, all of them, and took care of their families and tried to teach them about God. Number five, they followed the scriptures and their teachers and the prophet. Number six, they built a temple and lived worthy to go there. Number seven, they keep the, kept the commandments. Nephi said they observed to keep the commandments in all things. That meant they didn't pick and choose which they wanted to keep, but instead they sought to be obedient, he says, in all things. 
Now, does that mean everything went great and no one was unhappy or sad? No. He said they lived after this manner of happiness. It was a choice they made to do the things that would make one happy. President Jeffrey R. Holland said many years ago, I do not think God in his glory or the angels of heaven or the prophets on earth intend to make us happy all the time, every day in every way, given the testing and trial this earthly realm is intended to provide. As President James E. Faust once phrased it, happiness is not given to us in a package that we can just open up and consume. Nobody, he said, is ever happy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But my reassurance to you is that in God's plan, we can do very much to find the happiness we do desire. We can take certain steps. We can form certain habits. We can do certain things that God and history tell us lead to happiness with the confidence that if we live in such a manner, that butterfly is much more likely to land upon our shoulder. That was President Holland. So until next time. <music>